Hello, and welcome to the Flucoma podcast. Today I'm talking with Dr. Artemi Maria Ghiotti, who is a composer and artistic researcher specializing in the field of artificial intelligence. So today we'll be learning more about her creative work, which has been performed all over the world, and also about her research. Artemi notably focuses on the idea of interactivity, uh, viewing the musical work as the product of collaborative and distributed human-human and human-computer co-creativity. We'll also learn more about the ERC-funded MuseAI project, of which Artemy is a team member, a research program which looks to investigate the cultural implications of AI, examined through a group of uh, critical interdisciplinary studies examining AI's relationship with music. So Artemy, hello, and thank you for talking with me today. Uh, thank you for the invitation, Jacob. <laughs> You're quite welcome. Um, so perhaps you could begin by explaining how you got into the world of music and composition, uh, the world of artistic research and the field of artificial intelligence. Um, great. So, yeah, I guess um, I started with um, a bachelor's in instrumental composition. Uh, so I studied in Thessaloniki at the University of uh, Macedonia. And during an Erasmus semester in Vienna at the University of Music and Performing Arts there, I came in contact with electronic music and specifically live electronics. Uh, so after that, I decided to study computer music um, in Graz, which is also in Austria. Uh, and subsequently, I did a, an artistic research PhD in composition also in Graz. Um, I guess that my PhD did have a focus on artificial intelligence, on uh, machine learning, uh, but I don't necessarily think of myself as a composer who specializes in AI or machine learning, even though I, I use machine learning in most of my pieces, uh, because to me machine learning is um, essentially technology. So I'm uh, really interested in technology and I'm interested in the reciprocal relationship between composition and technology. So I'm interested in how tools, how technologies um, shape musical thinking and function as ideation tools. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, we'll be able to get into all of your thoughts uh, on that subject as, as, as we go on. Um, so yeah, as you're saying, much of your research focuses on interactivity, so this interaction between technology and, and, and humans. Um, and in the program notes for some of your pieces, you, you use the term of interactive music system. So for bass clarinet, an interactive music system, for double bass, an interactive music system, etc. Um, so I think it could be really useful um, to begin if, if perhaps you could break down this term um, and what it means for you in a theoretical sense um, and also what an interactive music system is in your work in practice. Um, yeah, so I guess that I describe the works I have um, written over the last six or so years as interactive compositions. 
Um, and I understand interactive compositions as musical works that involve mutual real-time adaptation between musicians who are usually playing an acoustic instrument and an interactive computer music system. And an interactive computer music system is a system that is capable of processing some sort of sensory information. In my pieces, that is almost always um, auditory information, it's uh, sound. And it's capable of acting both in response to the musician's actions, but also independently of them as a result of some autonomous algorithmic processes. So uh, an interactive music system for me combines responsiveness with um, autonomy, with a certain degree of unpredictability. Yeah. No, it's interesting um, that you talk of interactiveness as being something that's mutual, because often one thing that's come up in a lot of talks around the kind of flucoma technologies is that there's a difference between interactive and reactive systems. Um, yeah, perhaps to get into that, um, we could talk about some precise examples from from your from your creative work. Um, so to begin, perhaps uh, your 2019 piece um, for piano and double bass, uh, Converge and Diverge, um, gives us a concrete example of one of these interactive music systems, or IMS, as, as, as you um, term them, um, in action. Um, so perhaps just to begin, uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, um, I wonder if you could quickly explain how the piece works. Yes, um, it's really interesting that you're asking me about this piece in particular because um, it's kind of an exception in my sort of uh, list of works. Uh, so in the last years I've really focused on music for one musician and uh, computer and interactive music system. Uh, so this piece is obviously a piece for two musicians and a uh, computer and this for me was a completely new and unique challenge. Uh, so I would say it's actually very different from the rest of my works. Um, so in this piece, uh, or I should say that this piece explores um, Sawyer's concept of collaborative emergence, which um, refers to the emergence of form uh, in um, improvisational settings in which, in which there is no structured plan or um, a leader, a conductor leading the improvisation. And it also explores the concept of joint agency. Um, so in this piece, uh, the musicians can initiate different interac interaction uh, scenarios, different states of the interactive music system uh, by playing timberly similar and dissimilar sound material by converging or diverging. So the title of the piece Converge Diverge really refers to a timbral spectral convergence and divergence. Um, so the default state of the computer music system in this piece is called negotiate and in this um, interaction scenario, the musicians interact with each other in a call and response fashion. Uh, they take turns uh, playing sound material from a pool of partially notated musical actions. Uh, there are two additional pools of uh, sound material for converge and diverge. And 
By playing sound material from one of these pools, a musician simply extends an invitation to their co-player to either converge or uh, diverge. Now, what's interesting about this concept of invitation is that an invitation can be accepted or declined. So essentially, in order for any musical change to happen in this piece, the musicians have to act um, jointly. Uh, there are a couple of other interaction scenarios that are uh, initiated only by uh, the computer, but I think that the interesting um, aspect of this piece and what makes it different from the rest of my works is that the computer is not really responding to the musician's individual actions. Um, it's responding to the relation between their uh, audio inputs. It's really responding to the interaction uh, between the two musicians. Yeah, that's no, really interesting. Um, I mean, so this is the Flucoma podcast, so we can get, without getting too, too technical, but we can talk about some of the sort of technological implementations of these ideas. Um, yeah, so I'm really interested in this idea of states that you talked about. So the system is in different states of convergence, divergence, negotiation, cooperation, uh, to compete. Um, so I wonder if it would be possible um, to kind of explain how you translate these ideas of a system state using technology. So how do you go from this idea of a state to, to its material form. Um, how, how And perhaps with some examples, how does this system in particular receive information? How does it assess and how does it um, make decisions to impart agency? Hmm. Um, so if I remember correctly in this piece, um, the computer analyzes the two audio signals, the piano and double bass signal, and extracts some spectral descriptors. I believe that in this case it was MFCCs, but I am not entirely sure. And it then uh, computes the Euclidean distance between uh, the two audio inputs. The Euclidean distance is a distance uh, metric, which essentially measures dissimilarity between two things. Um, what's uh, interesting about this piece is that the computer does not really have a preconception of convergence and divergence. It doesn't really know what convergence and divergence are supposed to sound like. So there aren't any hard-coded rules or any machine learning involved in uh, identifying certain sonic interactions as convergent and others as divergent. Um, the computer essentially calculates the Euclidean distance, this distance metric between the two audio inputs, and compares the current distance to previously observed values. So it, this also means that the computer in a way learns what timbral convergence and divergence sounds like during the performance. And uh, an implication of this is also that at the beginning of the performance, the behavior of the uh, computer music system can be a little bit unpredictable, a little bit unstable. And uh, some of the ensembles that have performed uh, this piece are, have actually decided uh, to foreground that feature of the uh, computer music system. Uh, I don't know if that answers the question um, regarding how these concepts are 
translated into sound. I could talk a little bit about one of his hidden interaction scenarios, one of these interaction scenarios that can only be initiated by the computer. This is called Compete. And in this scenario, the computer only responds to one musician at a time, and specifically the musician who is currently playing the most novel sound material. And again, here the computer judges novelty by calculating the Euclidean distance be between what the musician is currently playing and what they have played earlier um, in the performance. Um, so yeah, I hope this um, gives a, a better idea of the piece and how these concepts are um, translated into um, sound interactions. Yeah, no, it really does. And it's, it's really interesting to hear about this, this conception of the emergence of, well, so the system being very well, somewhat chaotic at the beginning and kind of going down through this from entropy towards this stable state um and and to hear how you also describe um the emergence of form through these uh, through these um interactions that are happening and so yeah I, I wonder so you say that some of the the materials notated but is uh, a different performances very different um from each other or I mean, how, how 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 does it deploy itself over different occurrences this piece uh, they can be. So the material for some of the interaction uh, scenarios is notated, but it is only partially notated. So this means that already certain aspects of the sound are left to the musicians. Um, for some of the interaction scenarios, there isn't any sound material. Compete is one example where the musicians are just um, instructed to play novel sound material, to do things they haven't done so far in the performance. And uh, then another um, factor that can be, another aspect that can be really different uh, between different performances is form, obviously, because this is entirely left to uh, the interaction between the musicians and the computer. Um, so I did a comparative analysis of two different performances of the piece a few years ago, and um, I observed that the two ensembles had a very unique, a very different approach to form. So one of the ensembles, um, or in one of the performances, they were more clearly articulated, homogeneous uh, musical sections, and in the other performance, um, you couldn't really establish sections. So it was more fluid. They were um, transitioning between different interaction scenarios uh, more frequently. Essentially, mm, yeah. Um, something you talked about um, uh, just now, so uh, this idea of novelty and asking the players to 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 propose things that are novel and that haven't been played yet. Um, it brings me to another one of your pieces. Um, so in 2010, uh, 2020, a piece called Bias, um, which is another fascinating project. Uh, you called it a compositional experiment on the simulation of aesthetic judgments. Um, but you also state that uh, the system, the IMS, um, will only react to sounds it finds interesting. Um, so I was wondering, again, if you could hear how, if we could hear how you technically translate those uh, those ideas. Um, certainly. So yeah, I, I guess this 
piece explores two things, and uh, the one is um, computational aesthetic evaluation, and the other is uh, AI or algorithmic bias, which consists in machine learning either making arbitrary um, false assumptions about data or amplifying uh, bias that is already in the data. Um, so this piece started with a little experiment. I invited a clarinetist Stillard Benes to improvise and recorded some improvisations. I then segmented the um, audio recordings and evaluated um, small audio excerpts based on my subjective aesthetic preferences. Uh, so for the evaluation I used a scale between 1 and 5 with um, one end corresponding to not at all interesting and the other to extremely interesting. Um, so I used this labeled data as training examples for two separate neural networks, one performing an aesthetic evaluation on a sound event basis, on its individual sound event, and the other on um, longer segments of audio. Um, so the basic idea behind this piece is that the computer music system performs an aesthetic evaluation of the musician's live uh, audio input and imitates sounds it finds interesting, but uh, remains silent or proposes new sound material when it loses interest in the musician's input. Uh, in this piece, the computer music system also collects its own sound material during different rehearsals and performances of the piece. Uh, and this is done by storing the spectral analysis of sounds the system uh, finds interesting. Um, and then using this uh, spectral analysis to resynthesize the sounds during um, the current and future performances. Uh, an important implication of this is, um, of course, that the electronic sounds heard in the piece were not composed or even curated by me. Um, so this is really meant as a component that allows uh, a mediated dialogue between different performances, a sort of co-creativity that is dispersed in, in time and space. Uh, what I should also mention about this piece is that uh, this piece clearly takes a critical and subversive approach to machine learning. So the actual goal there was not to simulate my aesthetic judgments as accurately as possible. Uh, what I was far more interested in were all the different ways in which the machine learning algorithms would misinterpret and distort my aesthetic judgments. And the neural networks developed some interesting biases, so they did seem to prefer low frequency sounds over higher frequency sounds and slowly evolving drone-like textures over uh, virtuosic melodic passages. Um, these are certainly plausible assumptions about my um, aesthetic preferences, but they're also a kind of uh, oversimplified and exaggerated version of my uh, aesthetic preferences. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting to see how these biases developed of the, by, the inter by the neural networks um, affected the aesthetics 
of the piece. Um, so the piece is really quite droney, it's much more droney than anything else that I have uh, written. So the goal in this piece was really to use my own aesthetic agency as a starting point for the development of another aesthetic agency that is not really, uh, that cannot entirely be traced back to my own um, uh, aesthetic preferences. Mm. Did was there, were there any occurrences of of things that the machine would propose, uh, sort of informing you that uh, oh you you must like this, you must find this interesting? Did, did was there any um, example of maybe if it informed you a bit about your own ear and we you were surprised to to hear those things? Yeah, I can't say I was surprised, but yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, it's it is true that I do prefer lower frequencies so you know if in a certain piece i can choose between a double bass and a violin i would go for the double bass but that was really interesting to see yeah 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 um one i think quite interesting technical question um from what you were saying um about uh about analysis windows you, t you talked at the beginning about um evaluating the sound event and also a, a, a larger window I was, I was wondering if how uh, another kind of geeky question how how you kind of define what a sound event is and and also during the live um performance how you dealt with um analysis windows and and, and time um so uh, i am trying to remember i i don't want to say anything that is inaccurate but i believe that for the sound event it was really i was really focusing on timbre so it would just be something like MFCCs. Uh, and for musical phrase, phrases or textures, I looked at entirely different uh, features. So I think that I worked with uh, the density uh, of musical events, something like uh, inter-onset intervals. Um, so it was really focused on texture analysis, on yeah, how uh, uh, many events are present within a certain window, what is the average inter-onset interval and um, things like that. So it was really quite um, separate things, quite different features. Yeah, okay. Um, and one other thing I'd, I'd be interested to hear, um, so you talk, talked about these uh, machine learning AI system that, um, that gets trained and is starts proposing things back to you i was i was wondering um if so you said that you, you know the goal wasn't to create a perfect kind of training of of an imprint of your musical ear but i was wondering if if you were content to to stay with the the first iteration of of, of the training of the system or did you go over um do many different training um sets and 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 choose one that you you preferred um how open were you to 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 curating the 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 trainings that's a very good question i think that in this project in particular i was happy with the first um, iteration I, I wasn't really i guess my interest did, my interest wasn't really in optimization um, so yeah, when I'm working with a different task, for instance, when it's really important for a certain piece that, um, specific sound classes, specific types of sounds are, uh, classified with a certain accuracy, then I will definitely insist more 
uh, on that. But in this particular project, I don't think it was so important. I'm still using normal machine learning practices. Uh, I'm still trying to, to train the neural networks. I still want the neural networks to learn something. Uh, but I guess that to a certain extent, uh, what is good enough in a musical project is really an aesthetic uh, decision rather than a technical decision. Of course. Um, so as, as we've heard, and as, as you've said, um, most of your pieces include human musicians who are playing um, acoustic instruments. Um, and as you said, the, a core thread of your work is exploring that human-computer interactivity. Um, so I'd love to hear about how you approach working with other musicians and your experiences bringing them into contact with these bespoke um, interactive music systems you make. Um, yeah, so I would say that I almost always work with uh, musicians. So I think I've done very few pieces that don't involve uh, musicians um, and I mean this I guess this starts from the concepts I'm working with uh, because I am looking for interactivity I'm looking for real-time interaction between the musicians and the computer um, this essentially means that um, some decisions need to be left to the performer. So the performers need to make some choices during the performance and they really need to be able to respond to the computer's current sound output. Um, so this has really transformed the way I work with musicians. Um, so I no longer write a um, fixed totally notated score presented to the musicians a few weeks before um, the performance. This is not my way of working. So musicians are usually involved um, very early on in the compositional process. Um, this can take different forms. We can try some naive or informed rehearsals with um, the computer music system. So these are, uh, for instance, uh, improvisation sessions in which the musicians uh, are not given any information regarding the system's um, interaction affordances prior to the improvisation. And so observing the musician's interaction with the computer music system really enables me to uh, find the right instructions for them, uh, to find these instructions that uh, clearly delineate the piece aesthetically, but also leave a lot of space uh, for the musicians to uh, to make their own decisions and to bring their own unique interpretative strategies uh, into the piece. Um, so yeah, these pieces are um, really co-authored with the musicians. In, in many senses, I consider myself the composer of these pieces, but not the single author of these pieces. So I guess in certain ways, um, the distribution of labor is very traditional. You know, I write the score, I write the code, um, they perform, but in many other ways it isn't because the final product, so its performance is uh, the product of uh, a co-creative process between myself, the musicians and the computer um, as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was leading me on to this, on to my next question. Is, um, you, you stated that um, much of your artistic research looks to explore these notions of authorship and performership and the construct of the musical work. 
Um, yeah, uh, one one question around that that I suppose arises is um, have have these pieces which, as you say, are co-authored with the, with these musicians. Has there have there been occurrences where they've been performed by other musicians, and, or or are they something that necessarily need to be um, executed by these people that co-authored them? No, actually, it's the opposite. So I I really. Um, try to have these pieces performed by many musicians and it doesn't mean that it is uh, uh, I mean co-authorship can also be sort of distributed in time and space again so um, I'm really interested in having this piece performed by different pieces and see their own individual approaches um, to these works um, so this these pieces really ask for uh, interpretative individuality it's an important part of the work. Um, and so just to give a better example of this, yeah, this idea of distributed co-creativity, I could talk a little bit about the piece that I just um, finished working on. It's called Bias 2 and it's a piece for piano and interactive music system. And uh, in this piece, a recurrent neural network or RNN uh, actually tries to learn how performers uh, navigate um, certain clusters of timbrally similar sounds and proposes musical changes, it proposes sound material based on what it has learned from past performances. So in this piece the musician is set in a dialogue with the work's interpretive history, with past interpretations of the piece. So this is really not a collaborative process between one composer and one performer or one ensemble. It's a much larger collaborative effort that is really dispersed in time, uh, yeah, in space. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And so, yeah, so an important thing to understand when talking about co-authorship also, at least in your perspective, is um, is this idea of time that it just, and the piece of authorship a piece's authorship doesn't necessarily just stop at one at one moment and it can continue on. That's yeah, really interesting. Um, concerning some of your academic writing, um, I, I, I had a question because um, I'm so I, I came did my original studies in, in France where the 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 idea of practice based research is still kind of getting going um so when i came to huddersfield and to the uk and 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 saw all this great um, practice-led research i was i was amazed by it um and I, i'm really interested to hear about how how you um kind of work in 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 that dynamic and balance so you characterized um you've characterized some of your pieces as compositional experiments um, and I'm curious to hear about how you balance the different hats of artistic researcher, of composer, of creative coder, um, and to what extent do these activities merge, um, and generally how you balance creative and academic work. Um, yeah, it's it's quite interesting interesting that you mentioned that because I actually did my doctoral studies in Austria, where artistic research is. It's quite self-explanatory. You don't really have to explain what it is or why it needs to exist. But I also do realize that this is a concept um, that's, yeah, depending on the geographic location, 
people might understand or they might need more information on. Um, so for me, actually, I all these roles are one and the same. Um, I have to code because uh, my pieces um, make use of certain algorithms, whether these are machine learning algorithms or a very simple signal processing um, algorithm. So coding for me is very much a part of the compositional process. Um, I would say that even data collection for machine learning is a compositional process. So there are so many aesthetic decisions involved in it that it, it also becomes part of the compositional process. And research and writing, in a way, is also part of the compositional process. So even though um, these two things are um, uh, quite separate in time for me, so I usually um, start reflecting on the work I did and writing on a certain piece after it's done, after I'm, uh, I'm finished. Uh, and But still, this a process of reflection is for me the bridge between the piece I've just completed and the next one. Uh, so it's really about um, understanding what this piece was about, which um, it's funny, but sometimes it is not entirely clear to me as I'm composing it. And yeah, it's about how reflecting on this work shapes my, mus my musical thinking and uh, my future uh, works. Yeah, that's really, really interesting perspective. And it's, of course, probably symptomatic of my French upbringing that I try to name those different roles and put <laughs> the, have those different actors where, of course, why couldn't you 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 occupy those things at the same time and and for them all to merge and, and to be as one? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Continuing about some of your research, um, I'm really interested to hear about um, a project you've recently joined. So I think you were saying earlier, uh, you've been on it for about a year. Um, Georgina Bourne's ERC funded program, uh, Music and Artificial Intelligence, Building Critical Interdisciplinary Studies. Um, it sounds really fascinating. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the project and, and some of the work that you're doing for it. Um, definitely, yes. So um, obviously the Muse AI project is a really large scale um, research project and it actually consists of several uh, smaller projects or work packages and each of these work packages focuses on um, different, uh, on, a, on a different field. For instance, there are certain work packages focusing on music recommendation systems, others focusing on uh, commercial generative music. And my work is part of a sub-project called um, uh, Algorithmic Composition Subverted. Uh, actually, the entire title is uh, Permeable Interdisciplinarity Algorithmic Composition Subverted. And as part of this work, Packards, um, Aaron Einbond and I are both working on um, musical pieces, pieces for acoustic instruments and electronics and producing reflexive autoethnographies of working with AI as a creative tool. And uh, among other things, we are 
uh, investigating questions relating to distributed creativity, to musical authorship, um, data materialities, um, but viewed from the perspective of a composer and researcher. Mm. That sounds great. And um, as with all of the, the things that we've been discussing today, we'll be linking to, to, to all those things uh, down below so people will be able to, to find them. Um, I had a couple of perhaps broader questions uh, I wanted to ask uh, finishing up. Um, so you talk, you touched on it um, in the question before this one. Um, uh, I, I wanted to uh, to ask you about how you go about curating a corpus. So you were talking about data collection. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear more about that. Um, it strikes me that each of your pieces seem to build upon a new corpus of sound each time. Um, and I, I, I wondered from what processes do your corpora emerge um, and what role does a corpus of sound as, as a, an object um, play in your artistic project? Um, well, it's really interesting because I guess corpus is not a word I use a lot, but I would have to say that there are um, different roles that uh, this sort of music corpora play or sound corpora play in my pieces. Uh, so I talked earlier about uh, Bias, the bass clarinet piece in which the interactive music system uh, collects its own sound corpus. So in this particular case, I am really not curating the sound corpus, at least not directly. The neural networks are curating the sound corpus based on their um, sort of uh, distorted uh, version of my own aesthetic preferences. Uh, so in this particular piece, the corpus is um, assembled by uh, all the musicians performing the piece. So uh, when a musician performs this piece, they are both interacting with and contributing to this corpus. Um, but I guess that there are other types of corpora in my works as well. So I talked uh, before about the piano piece um, in which past interpretations of the piece influence um, future performances. Um, so these recordings of past performances of the piece are another sound corpus um, and the training data extracted from these recordings. So these training data are also uh, the crystallization of the performer's labor in a way. And then there is another type of corpus, um, which are essentially these training examples that I collect to, class, to train simple classification algorithms. And what's interesting about them is how they foreground the materiality of data. So for instance, if you want to train a machine learning algorithm to recognize four sound classes, four types of sounds, um, you generally have to record different versions of this sound. So you have to uh, perhaps record them using different microphones if you don't want your machine learning algorithm to overfit the data and to learn something very specific to that microphone. 
you probably have to record these sounds in different dynamics, uh, perhaps in different pitch ranges, if that's uh, possible or relevant. So this is another type of corpus that is invisible and inaudible in the pieces itself. It's just the data driving the machine learning models, but in some ways it's, it's a very important uh, aspect, of, aspect of the piece because um, yeah, it essentially uh, determines how the interactive music system uh, will behave in the performance, what kind of mistakes it will make, and so on. Yeah. No, it's interesting to hear how they can have very functional roles and how you can go about collecting them in a very functional way to make something work in a certain way and then, and how it can also be a very aesthetic thing with uh, with much looser and fluid kind of boundaries. It's, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting concept, I think. Um, so I wonder maybe uh, just to finish, um, so obviously we've been talking about this across the whole the, the whole conversation, but maybe in a sort of broader sense, um, I've been I'd be interested to hear about what it is that really draws you to using computational techniques such as machine learning and neural networks um, in your creative practice. What are the affordances, uh, the limits? Um, what is it about these technologies that draws you to them in an aesthetic sense? Um, and also, how do you see your relationship with these technologies developing in the future with your future work? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So I guess that my relationship with these technologies has really evolved over the years. So. Initially, I was really drawn to machine learning because I just wanted to explore the capabilities and the creative possibilities that I thought these algorithms opened. Um, so at first, I really um, used these algorithms in a rather conventional uh, way in my pieces. But as I started um, using these algorithms, I I became more and more interested in their specificities, in their limitations, in their materiality. So that's when I really started exploring aspects such as algorithmic bias uh, in my pieces. Um, something else that I find fascinating about these algorithms is, well, not really the, the algorithms themselves, but um, the way they can challenge us to rethink musical authorship, the musical work. So the way that they challenge us or the way that they shape and transform musical practices. Um, so I guess that I'm really interested in this reciprocal relationship. Yeah, again, between composition and technology. Um, and the other side of this relationship is, of course, how artistic practice, how musical practice can really provide unique insights and perspectives into these algorithms and specifically critically, critical um, perspectives. I do think that the arts can provide some really, really unique insights uh, into the materiality and limitations of machine learning algorithms. And unfortunately, it, the contribution of the artistic community to the discourse around AI and machine learning is um, still undervalued. And I think that's a pity. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and even though if I'm 
yeah, I'm optimistic that uh, things seem to be getting better in 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 that regard. Um, great. Well, Asmi, thank you so much. It was really, really interesting. Um, so, as I said, uh, the um, everything that we've talked about will be uh, listed below this video on the Flucoma Learn platform, which is where it shall be living. And if uh, people are watching this on YouTube, there'll be a little link in the description towards that page. Um, so, Asmi, thank you so much. Thank you for the lovely discussion. You're quite welcome. See you again soon. Bye.